0: I would ask that you please turn again in your Bibles to the book of Revelation in chapter 3. Believe it or not, we are winding down this series on the church at Philadelphia. When I looked at this originally, I thought this would be the shortest of the series of all of the churches in the book of Revelation that we would deal with. It's turned out to be the longest, but I hope for good reasons. Revelation chapter 3. Follow with me in verse 7. And to the angel of the church at Philadelphia, or in Philadelphia, right? He who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power And have kept my word and have not denied my name. We're going to ask that we pray at this time, please. Father, these are indeed words of our Lord. They are filled with much instruction. They are filled with much encouragement. And they also contain real warning. I pray even today, as we look into the Scriptures, as we look to Your Word, to Your truth, that You would bring to us in great power and reality how serious a matter it is to not deny Your name, that name which is above every name. And that we as a church and as a people, as individuals, would go about our lives day by day honoring You, honoring even Your name. Help us, please, to this end. And help me, as it is my duty to open the Scriptures to Your people now. I ask You, please, God, come in power in our midst. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We see here in this passage that Jesus is addressing His church personally. This is Jesus speaking to His specific church in Philadelphia. And yet because of the Spirit and the supernatural power of God, we have these words that Jesus spoke specifically to Philadelphia and these words are applicable to us today. And so we have been looking at this text and seeing from this text that this is the great God, the priest, prophet, and king who is addressing the church as he calls himself the one who is holy, the one who is true, the one who has the key of David. He is our God addressing this church and because he is god and has great power he says he is the one who can open a door that no one can shut and what we have been doing then over the past weeks is looking at some of the examples in church history how god mightily opened doors for some of his men to bring the truth of His Word and how God specifically and wonderfully used them. And today, I have for you perhaps the greatest example in church history after the apostolic age of God using a man in the preaching and the proclamation of the Gospel. He was born George Whitfield Jr., on December twenty seventh, 1714, in Gloucester, England. His father was an innkeeper there. He was taking care of what was called the Bell Inn on Southgate Street. It's still there. I actually looked on Google Earth. Right at it. It's still there. But here in this inn, the Bell Inn, At an early age, Whitfield found that he liked to entertain the guests at the inn. So perhaps on a little stage or in the lobby or wherever he was able, Whitfield would stand before the guests at the inn and bring some kind of skit, some kind of entertainment to them. He was an actor. Now, the Whitfields were poor people. Even his father died when he was just two, and he was predominantly raised by his mother. His childhood was not happy, and he became involved in stealing, lying, fighting, cursing, and all kinds of other sinful ways. In fact, it was said of him that he was far more acquainted with sin than he was with Jesus. He knew how to sin and apparently had to do it well. Yet, he managed to get himself into Oxford as what was known as a servitor. That is, that he would do work for the other wealthy students. Carry their books, do their laundry, clean their rooms, things like that, to make his way through the university. And while there, he was invited to join the Holy Club, as it was known, with the Wesley brothers. John and Charles. Now, John and Charles Wesley were not saved at this time. And yet, they had this thing called the Holy Club. And so, Whitfield would go and he would hear some of the things that were being said. But it was actually when he took ill, with a serious illness, and was bedridden, that he was given a book and read a book by Henry Scogel called The Life of God in the soul of man. And God used that book to bring George Whitfield to repentance and to salvation through the power of the Holy Spirit. As he saw in the reading of that book, that salvation was of God and not of works. And so at the age of 21, George Whitfield was regenerated through the grace and mercy of our Lord. And almost immediately, he's only 21 years old, almost immediately, he begins to preach the message of the Gospel using those skills that he learned as a little boy, in an, as an actor in the inn, which he later used and incorporated in his preaching. He did not stand behind a pulpit. But as he used those skills that he learned as a young man, he brought the truth of God's Word with power and boldness. Now what you have to understand is that in the 1600s, there were laws passed in England that practically ensured that there would not be any powerful preaching from pulpits. They passed laws such as the Act of Uniformity, which stated that if you did not conform to the Church of England and what they wanted and what they expected and what they taught and what they did and what they thought preaching was, you would be ostracized. In fact, thousands of Puritan ministers were ousted from their pulpits at that time during the 1600s. So what had happened was preaching had become, as one called it, more like philosophical lectures rather than preaching the Word of God with power. Not much different than some churches today. Just bringing light little homilies from the Word of God and philosophical lectures Rather than coming with the bold power and Spirit of God as they are bringing the truth of God from His Word. And that's what Whitfield did. He was convinced of Reformation theology and boldly thundered it throughout the places where he would preach. And because of that, he was invited to preach in many places and almost immediately began to draw. Huge crowds. However, some of the churches in the area would not have Whitfield speak. So he went into the fields, and it began a great phenomenon that lasted throughout his ministry. God opened doors for this man to preach to huge numbers of people out in open fields. Now, you might think that he stood there in cornfields and they couldn't see him, but they would build scaffolds for him. They would make sure that the people all around could see him. And when I'm talking about people, I'm talking about thousands of people. Thousands and thousands, 70,000 in one sitting sometimes would come to hear this man boldly proclaim God's Word. He opened, God opened great doors for him and I can't even begin to scratch the surface of how blessed he was of God in his ministry and how God manifested his spirit in this man. I can quote to you what some have said about him as they have studied his life. Martin Lloyd Jones said it was the greatest manifestation of the power of the Holy Spirit since the apostolic day. William Cowper said of Whitfield, the apostolic times have returned upon us. In his first 18 months, he spoke to thousands upon thousands in England and multitudes were saved. In the summer of 1739, it is estimated that he spoke to over 1 million people in London. One summer, one million people. That year, it is also estimated that Whitfield spoke to 650,000 people every month. He preached thousands of times over and over. Early on in his ministry, God opened doors for him to travel to America. And so he would travel from England to America and back. In fact, they say that he spent three years of his life on a ship going somewhere to preach. I was thinking and praying about this and thought to myself, that must have been when he got a little break. Three years of his life were spent on a ship headed somewhere to Preach. He spent eight years in America. He took 15 trips to Scotland, two to Ireland. He went to Gibraltar, Bermuda, and the Netherlands. He said of himself, The whole world is my parish. Wheresoever my master calls, I am ready to go and preach. And preach he did. His evangelistic preaching tour through the colonies as they were called then was considered to be the greatest preaching campaign ever undertaken in the history of the church. Listen to this. Wherever he went, commerce ceased. Shops closed. Farmers left their plows. And I thought my son would like this. Even judges Delayed hearings. All to go hear Whitfield preach. I said this before again, it is estimated that he preached to and 80% of America at that time saw and heard George Whitfield. 80% of all living in America saw and heard george whitfield preach that is far in excess of those who even saw the other george washington far more people would go out to hear whitfield preach god so blessed his efforts in america that he brought about his preaching by God's grace brought about America's great awakening. I know we mentioned that Edwards was responsible in part for that as well, and he did preach greatly, and God did use him as part of the great awakening, but not like Whitfield. Whitfield was amazingly blessed by God. Oh, that we could have the zeal of Whitfield for the lost. Oh, that I could have the zeal of Whitfield in preaching the Word of God. Oh, that God would open doors for our church as He opened doors for this man. And I pray that He will because I believe He can. And that is our prayer and that is what we are looking at here in chapter 3 of Revelation, because it is God who says that I can open a door that no one can shut. And even though you have little power, of ourselves we have little power, little resources, but God is able to open doors. And this is what we have seen in the passage before us. We look first of all at the reasons and He gives Two reasons why He opened doors for them. First one is that you have kept My Word. And we look at the Scriptures as to what that meant and what it means even for us today to keep His Word. And the second one is that you have not denied My name. And this is where we have been looking most recently. We saw the meaning of denying His name is to reject or suppress the truth known about Him. We then saw from the scriptures the significance of the name of God as He gives His name, I am who I am, the great Jehovah God, the God who is God, the God who is eternal, unchangeable, personal, and faithful. And then we saw most recently from the New Testament in John chapters 6 through 11, Jesus proclaiming that He is the great I am. Even as Jehovah God would come and say, I am who I am, Jesus stood before men and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am! And the Jews knew exactly what He meant. And so do we. He's God. He's our God. This is His name. The great name. And that's where we left off in Philippians chapter 2. Let me ask you to turn there real quick. We'll get going right from here. Philippians chapter 2, we read in uh, verse 7 But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, speaking of Jesus. Verse 6 tells us that he existed in the form of God and did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he, he came in humility as a man. He left glory and came as a man. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He came his incarnation as a man, dwelled among men. And He was obedient to the Father, even going to the cross, giving His life a sacrifice for His people. And therefore, verse 9, also God highly exalted Him, And bestowed upon Him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should be bowing. Of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue should be confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He was given a great name and this is the name that we will not deny Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, sweetest name I know. He was given a name that is above every name. And the text even says that at the name Jesus, every knee should bow. But we looked at that word and saw that it should be, or is best translated, should be bowing now. It's not just that people will bow before Him someday off in the future when He is revealed as glorious God at His second coming. It is that now men should bow before this One who is the great I Am. This One who has been given a name that is above every name. This One who is the divine Son of God who came and gave His life for His people we bow, we bow, we bow before Jesus. This is what the Scriptures tell us. Now, let me ask you to continue on from here by turning to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew's Gospel chapter 10. As we see here in the Scriptures, not only the meaning of denying His name, the significance of His name, the wonderful name of Jesus, but that the name of Christ is synonymous with Christ Himself. Matthew chapter 10. Look down to verse 22. And you will be hated by all on account of My name. But it is the One who has endured to the end who will be saved. What does that mean? You will be hated by all on the account of my name. Do people just go around indiscriminately finding people and go, hey, I hate the name of Jesus. So they persecute somebody? No, what this is saying is, we as followers of Christ, who take His name upon us, Christians. Is that not what we are? Christians. We are of the family. We are of the household of Christ. We are Christians. So we take His name upon us. We follow not His name, however. We follow Him. So His name is synonymous with Him. Following His name, keeping His name, is the same as following Him, keeping Him. As we follow the name Jesus, we follow the man Jesus. As we follow the name Jesus, we are associated with the man Jesus. Look at chapter 19 still in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 19. Look down to verse 28. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that you who have followed Me In the generation when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone... Now, he's speaking specifically there to the twelve apostles. But then he goes on to say, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sister or father or mother or children or farms... For my name's sake shall receive many times as much and shall inherit eternal life. What does that mean? Who are those people? Who does that? Who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or farms and followed Jesus? Who has done that? You have done that. We have done that. We're going to hear some testimonies in a little while of those who have done just this. This is speaking of those who have left all to follow after Jesus. And what does he say? Everyone who has left these things does so for my name's sake. Now, I didn't just do it because his name was Jesus. We didn't leave anything because just because His name was Jesus. We left it because of who Jesus is. Of what Jesus has done. That He is God and gave His life for us. And so we have left all to follow Him. But His name is synonymous with who He is. So as we follow Him, we do so for His name. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. And for His kingdom, we would leave all. We have left all. For His name's sake. What is this? This is the opposite of denying His name. Leaving everything for His name is what we are to do. And that's As opposed to denying his name. So, what was Philadelphia doing? The church in Philadelphia. Here we have a church body. Here we have a church people who left everything and who would leave everything to follow Jesus for his name's sake. And that's what we do as Christians. And we won't turn back. We'll just keep following Jesus for his name's sake will leave all and continue to follow Him. In fact, if you look at Acts chapter 2 now, it is in His name that we minister to mankind. Acts chapter 2. I can't even begin to say or show how often this is mentioned. But this is what we're doing. We are ministering in His name. So, not only is the name of Christ synonymous with Jesus Himself, But we minister in the name of Christ as we come to men. Here we have in Acts chapter 2, the first sermon preached by the church, by Peter, is the account of Peter standing up in Jerusalem and he begins to preach. And he preaches to the multitudes that were there. And we know that many were saved because of his preaching. But I want you to notice what he says in verse 20 and following the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come and it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved and so even here he's preaching the very first sermon that you should be calling on The name of the Lord. Now, does that mean you're not calling on Jesus? It is. You are calling on Jesus as you call on the name of the Lord to be saved. Look down towards the end of the sermon. Verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to their heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. And let each of you be baptized. Look in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're baptized even into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptized into the name which is above every name. So when we go and when we preach, we go and we preach in the name of Of Jesus. In the name of the God of the Bible, who is the great I AM. We go forth in His name. We are representatives of the family name. And the family name is God. The family name is Messiah. The family name is Jesus Christ. Jesus the Christ. And so we go forth with a family name. You know, when you have that name, you're a representative of that name you have. Matt's going to learn this in a few years. He's got sons growing up. They they bear his name. And they will grow up into young men. And as they act and as they live, it will reflect upon the family name. I hear my son's name on the radio. Wait, that's my name. It reflects upon the family name. Your name reflects upon your family. We go forth in the name of King Jesus. We're part of His kingdom. That's the name for which we minister. This goes on through the whole book here. Look at chapter 3 and verse 6. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus, the Nazarene, walk. And he healed that man in the name of Jesus. Look down to verse 16 here. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man Whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. It is in the name that they went about healing. Look at chapter 4, verse 7. And you know what? I can't even take the time to go through this. I'm going to show you one more, though. Look at chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Here in Acts chapter 5, we have the men of God before the men of the world. and Peter and the apostles answered boldly and told them the things of God boldly. They were put in prison, but then they were released. And it says in verse 40 that they were flogged and ordered them to speak no more in the name of Jesus. They don't, don't speak anymore in that name. Don't go around saying any more about that name. Don't go forth and proclaim that name anymore. And they beat them. They flog them. That's serious. You know, it says only a couple of words, but that's, that hurts. Remember what flogging is. Jesus was flogged. We're going to talk a little bit about this in the coming weeks when we think about His death. Jesus was flogged. Whips on their back. And the whips had little pieces of bone or metal or wood fragments that would rip your skin apart. It was a terrible thing. And these men were flogged. But look what it says. So they went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for His name. For His name. Counted worthy to suffer shame For His name. Do we think that way? Is that what the church is being taught today? That you may be called on to suffer shame for Christ? That you may be called on to suffer persecution for Christ? Or is the church today being told, well, you come to Jesus and everything will just be wonderful. He'll help your life. He'll help your finances. He'll make you wealthy and healthy. He'll just take care of everything. Just come to Jesus. And of course, if you give to my ministry, if you give $100, you will get back $10,000. So send that money in right now. Jesus will help you out. That's, this, is, this is a totally different Mindset. And I I can't go down that trail right now because suffering for Christ is shown clearly in the New Testament of God's people rejoicing to be counted worthy to suffer for His name. That's, That's what we need to be ready to do. And that's what some of us have been striving for and living for for years. We'll just stand firm no matter what for the name of Jesus. Now, I say all this to consider the opposite. The implications of denying his name. And there are many implications. And now we turn to some serious, weighty things. The implications of denying the name of Jesus are, first of all, detestable. It is a wicked thing to deny the name of Jesus. You are denying the very God who is God. And yet we have a generation today, a society today, that works hard to deny that Jesus is God. That works hard to deny that in some ways Jesus even existed. They call it a myth. They call Jesus a myth. And so they deny the God who is God. Remember we just saw from Philippians. And that's the reason I had you turn there. That Jesus came from glory. Came and dwelled among men. He was divine. He was the incarnate Son of God. He went to the cross. He gave His life. He was raised on the third day. And because He was the divine Son of God, because He was obedient to the Father, because He did exactly what the Father told Him to do in coming and giving His life a ransom for many, because of that, God highly exalted Him and gave Him a name that is above every name that men should bow before Him. Why? Because He's God. That's why you bow before Him. You don't bow before one who isn't God. Never bow before any man. Only bow before God. But because He is God, we should be bowing before Him. Yet today, we live in a society that denies who Jesus is. They deny this precious name. They deny who He is. They fail to believe they propagate falsehoods calling him a myth. And this is what they teach children in public schools. They kick Jesus out of everything they can, be it Christmas hymns or manger scenes. Not that I may agree with all of those things, but still, they do everything that they can to kick Jesus out of our society to do away with His name. The only time you'll hear the name of God, it seems, or the name of Jesus is as a curse from most of these people. They are denying Jesus. They are denying God. They are denying all who He is and all that He has done. And I say to you that this is to us detestable. Do you cringe when you hear some of this stuff? Do you cringe when you think about some of this stuff? Imagine how God feels as He has blessed this land with such great blessing. And now America shakes its fist in the face of God and says, I don't even believe you exist. They deny God and it's detestable. But not only is it detestable, it is damning. Look back to chapter 7 in the Gospel of Matthew. That passage we read a little while ago. Matthew chapter 7. This is one of those occasions when our Lord kind of pulls back the curtain and allows us to see into what will take place and what will happen. And we have this picture of those standing before the throne. And it says in verse 21, Our Lord says, Not everyone who says to Me, Lord, Lord... Notice, they're calling Him Lord! Lord! But not everyone who calls Me Lord, Lord... What is He saying? There are many people in our day who are religious. I know I just talked about the multitudes who would like to say that God is a myth, that God doesn't exist, and they try to push out and push aside and completely kick Him out of our society. But there are others who are still going to churches right now, countless churches all over the place, who are sitting there saying, Lord, Lord. And look what he says. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy what? In your name. And in your name cast out demons. And in your name perform miracles. And then I will declare to them I never knew you, depart from me. Wow. What have we got here? A scene of people that are saying, God, God, I believe. I said that you were Lord. I called you Lord and I, I cast out demons and I, I built churches and I was a deacon and, and I, I knelt and I stood and I sang and I, I went to church and I took the sacraments and I did all of these things in churches, Lord. I did it all in your name. But what happens? Depart. Why? I never knew you. And what is the key factor? The key factor is what He was speaking about before in verse 19. Every tree that does not bear fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You will know them by their fruit. So just because people go along and say, I am a Christian, does not mean that they are a Christian. Just because somebody goes to a church, just because somebody got dunked in a tank, just because somebody made a decision, just because somebody goes through all these religious motions and puts in their hour at church, does not mean that they are saved genuinely saved and living by the name and living for the name of Christ. But by their lives, they are denying the name of Christ. Look at what he says at the end of verse 23. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What is lawlessness? 1 John 3, 4. Sin is lawlessness. Sin. Sin. Because you live in a sinful life. A sinful lifestyle. You may stand before the throne of God saying, Lord, didn't I do this in your name? And he's going to say, I know your fruits. I know you by your fruit. And though you may have said that you had my name, by your fruit, you showed the world that you did not. Have my name. I shudder sometimes when I see some people in these Christian, quote unquote Christian broadcasts or shows, and they're in prison or they're on drugs or they're doing this other stuff. Yeah, I'm a Christian. What? Stop telling people, please. Because if you are a genuine Christian, you will live as a genuine Christian. And these who say they took His name, said they were Christians, were denying His name by the way that they lived. People think of the horror of that day when so many people who are at this very moment in churches all around will stand before God thinking that they will go to heaven, but they are deluded, deceived, tricked. The horror, and this ought to weigh on our hearts as we think of so many people right now that we all know that go to church, that kneel at the right time, stand at the right time, genuflect in the right place, do this, do something else. But all they're doing is going through the motions. And they think that because they're a part of a denomination that they're going to go to heaven. I've pastored churches filled with people that gave absolutely no evidence of salvation in their lives. But because in their minds they made a decision, came down an aisle, got dunked in a tank and joined a church, that they were going to heaven. Whether you live for Christ or if you don't live for Christ is the determining factor of whether you have the name of Christ. It's not just what you say. Think about how the world thinks about Christianity today. If you're not Jewish, if you're not Muslim, you're a Christian. I mean, there might be a couple others in there. Everybody, think think of their statistics. Well, there are billions of Christians in the world today. I don't think so. But they count everyone who says that they're a Christian or belongs to a so-called Christian church on the rolls as Christians. God doesn't have those same roles. Those are not the roles of God. And they deny Him by the way they live. God help us not to deny His name by living a life of lawlessness. God, I did all of this, but He says, it wasn't for me. Depart. I never knew you. I'm not saying at all that we as Christians can live sinless lives. That is not what I'm saying. But those of us who know Christ in our hearts and in our lives strive to honor His name in our lives. Sometimes we fall. Sometimes we sin. But we are grieved by it. And we strive to live for His name. I'm not going to let you off with that, though. I want you to think long and hard. When you stand before God on that day, will He say, Depart from me, I never knew you? Or will He say, I know your name? And it's My name. Enter into the joy of heaven. Now let's nail this down a little bit further. It is detestable. It is damning. And we go a little further and we see that it is indeed deadly. To deny His name is deadly. Look at Matthew chapter 10 again. Just over a few pages. We were here not long ago towards the beginning of the chapter. Let's go towards the end. He says in verse 32, Everyone therefore who shall confess Me before men, I will also confess him before My Father who is in heaven. That's, that's the Christian. I'm confessing Him. I'm not denying Him. But now He says, But everyone or whoever shall deny Me before men, I will also deny Him before My Father who is in heaven. Wow! Now, put that in its context. Back up a little bit. Verse 26, Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that cannot be revealed or hidden that will be not known. What I tell you in darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim on the housetops. People, we need to be out proclaiming the name of Christ! Proclaiming the name of Christ. No matter what persecution we may face. We are not to deny Him. We are to confess Him. For to deny Him is to have Him deny you before the Father. And that will be deadly. That will be bad. If you deny Him, He promises that He will deny you. Deny Him in word. Deny Him in deed. Deny Him in your life. And He denies you before the Father. Oh, Christian. Oh, Christian. Confess His name. Confess His name. Bring Him before men. Bring His name before men. Confess His name before men. And He will confess you before the Father. You want to know? One of the ways, again, if you're bearing fruit for the kingdom, are you confessing Jesus before men? Are you confessing Him in your life, and in what you say, and in what you do? These are life and death issues. I do not want Jesus to deny me before the Father. I do not want that. God help us. God help us. Let me give some comfort now as we consider the propensity to deny His name. Believe it or not, we're all prone to do it. We're all prone to do it. It's part of our nature. It's part of what we as flesh Do I remember the hymn writer as he put it in Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. He says, prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it for Thy courts above. We're all prone to wander. Look at Matthew 26. The greatest denial of the name of Jesus in the Bible. I'm thinking of believers now lots of men lost people deny his name all the time but here's one of his very disciples peter jesus promised him that peter would deny his name right and in verse 69 of matthew 26 peter is sitting outside in the courtyard and a certain servant girl came and said to him you too were with jesus in galilee no no I wasn't jesus is who who I don't know this man. I don't know Jesus. I don't know what you're talking about. He'd gone on a little further. Another person sees him there. This man was with Jesus the Nazarene. And again, he denied it with an oath. No, I swear to you, I do not know the man. Believe me, I wouldn't lie. I do not know him. Can you imagine? We all think we'd never do that. And then he goes on again. A little later, a bystander comes up and says to Peter, Surely you two are one of them? For the way you talk gives you away. And he began to curse and swear. "By I am blankety blank, blank, blank. I don't know him. Can you imagine? This is Peter who walked with Jesus For years. This is Peter who had the courage to get out of the boat on the Lake of Galilee and walk on the water with Jesus. This is Peter who saw the miracles, who heard the teaching, who was the witness of everything Jesus did. Calming the sea. Feeding the multitudes. I don't know Him! Denying His name. We're prone to do it. It is the propensity of our flesh. And yet, of course, we know that Jesus restored him. In the last chapters of the Gospel of John, do you love me? I love you. Do you love me? I love you. Do you love me? I love you! Three times. Because three times he denied him. We're prone. Our flesh is weak. And it is part of our culture, as I said a little while ago. In one of the messages that we heard recently, Al Mohler stood before the congregation and said our culture used to uphold God. Now not only does the world deny God, they condemn those who proclaim His name. So the pressure is on to get you to deny His name. And this sadly is part of the culture in the church today, as we've already made mention, so I won't repeat that too much. But you have multitudes of churches who keep doing all kinds of works. All kinds of works. But there's no power of God in the people or in the ministry. And in so many ways, they deny the name. But we don't want to be like that. We want to be, if you would, turn back to Revelation chapter 3. We want to be, as this example that our Lord pulls up to us, we want to be those who keep His name. The importance of keeping His name. Do you see it? Do you see it? As He says to them there, I know you have a little power, verse 8, and have kept My word, and have not denied My name. This church was faithful to His name and faithful to Him. And this is why God opened doors for them. They were faithful to Him and to His ways. And I suggest to you that all these examples that I've been bringing to you over the past weeks are examples of people like those in the church in Philadelphia. They would not deny His name. They kept His Word. And they would not deny His name. Remember, Whitfield could have been thrown in jail. But he refused to deny the name of God to deny the name of Christ. And he kept His Word and he preached it boldly. In the face of danger, in the face of hardship, in the face of persecution, may Grace Baptist Church be a people who keep His Word and will never deny His name. I close by focusing that it is a worthy thing for us to keep His name. It is right and blessed of God. It is a worshipful thing in the proper way to keep His name and bow before Him. It is a work that is fit for His kingdom to proclaim and confess Him. And it is what we are to strive to do. To confess, proclaim, and keep His name. May we do it. Let's pray.